0: Reaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to another episode of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Your faithful host, Dr. Zudi Jasser. You know, I started this program a few years ago to talk about reforming Islam, reforming against the ideology that radicalizes Muslims across the world. And now, as we start another month of Ramadan, it certainly remains very apropos. The battle continues. But in the past few episodes, I've obviously, as an American, as a physician, as a family, as a family man, I have been focused on coronavirus, focused on what our society is, what our community should do. And I I can't tell you enough, not only is the issue important, I feel, as a primary care doc in private practice, somewhat on the front lines of this, if you will, I have some things to offer, the opinions of regular Americans that might contradict from conventional wisdom, if you will. We'll talk about that also later. But when we talk reform, Our communities have to continue to adapt, to modernize, to go with the times while maintaining who we are as a community. And when you say who we are, what does that mean? It means those principles that we will sacrifice and those that we will not. When you look at your family name, you think about your tradition, your history, what it means to be a Jasser, what it means to be Whatever your family name may be, there's an identity. When it's positive, it's a tradition that you want to give your children, your children's children. It has to do with morality, integrity, and genetics. And at its worst, it can mean tribalism and imposition and coercion and other things, but it's part of our identity. But then there's the communities we belong to, our neighborhoods, our cities, our states, our countries, our national identity, what it means to be an American in that community. And every struggle we have, we face that. We face what are the aspects, what are the aspects of that identity that I will sacrifice, and what are the ones that I will not? So in the big picture of things, every battle that you have, you teach your children, you teach your your fellow citizens you join together and you learn about what are the things that you will take your last stand on. What are the things that you will pay a price for? And how much of a price will it be that you will pay? It's easy for people to dismiss that, that you are somehow overly controversial, overly ideological. But then always the slow ebbing away of a culture reminds us of Ronald Reagan's words, which I've invoked many times in discussion of the war against political Islam, Islamism, terrorism, etc., that every citizen, every generation is only one generation away from losing their freedom. So, when we make choices, when we allow the government to do things to us, we are allowing it we're making a choice to do nothing we're making a choice to allow the establishment the governing body politic make those decisions which is fine we're not an anarchy we're a people of law and i'm going to get to that but before i do there's two things i want to talk to you about one is ramadan the ninth month of the islamic holy calendar lunar calendar It's our holy month, 30 days of a lunar month of fasting from sunrise to sunset. We started it on Friday. The 24th of April was our first day and now every day Muslim families will wake up at dawn before any light, have water, a breakfast, hydrate, say some prayers and supplications, and then get on with their day, fasting, remembering. And, and the point of fasting, and I think it's so attuned this year because we are closer as families, unable to continue normal American life, if you will, because of the stay-at-home orders and work closures across the system. So we're a little more focused on what Ramadan means to us as a family. But also the congregational elements are, are not there. The congregational elements are being replaced by Zoom meetings, etc. An attempt to maintain a semblance. We're doing more education at home than we did already in the, this weekend. Plans for that than we have in the past because there is more time. And I've talked to you about board games and other things we've been doing as a family, and I think now in the month of Ramadan, that month in which we fast from food and water, we remember that, and and this is what's so, so central to this health of who we are, is that fasting, you remember that a sign, one of the primary signs of health medically, is hunger, is appetite, is thirst that when people become critically ill or significantly ill, one of the first thing that goes is their hunger. Regardless if the condition is gastrointestinal, uh, if it's malignancy, pulmonary cardiac, when they become ill, appetite goes away. So remember that the suppression of the will for, for food, for water, is a is a recognition moment to moment that you are healthy, that you have the energy, the weight, the well being, the strength, the fortitude to sustain and withhold that 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 need for thirst and food. And I think this year we remember that more than any other. So to my feather, to my fellow. Muslim brothers and sisters, may you have a fulfilling fast. May your prayers be listened to and answered. And may this Ramadan, with the challenges that we have, remind us how blessed we are to live in a society. You know, as an American, I see the government doing everything possible to keep us healthy and and yet recognize what they're doing to us. You see an apologetic government that feels that it has to do the stay-at-home orders, it has to uh, um, do what it's doing, and then it responds by providing sustenance for the months that we've not been able to work, whether it's through unemployment, whether it's through small business loans, whatever it may be. We are so blessed to have, despite all the partisan rancor and others, we clearly have a society that cares for one another. You see all of the the outreach All of the outreach. From video clips to charities. People giving RVs to doctors so they don't risk infecting their families. And they have a place to live right outside their house. People giving food. Deliveries to healthcare workers and others. That reminds us of the beauty of the country that we live in. And also the rigorous debate the vast majority of the civil debate that we're beginning to have, now I wish we had had it earlier, but the civil debate that we're beginning to have about what, how much distancing we should have and what's the best approach and whether the data means what people think it means. We're so blessed. And I remember that day to day as I fast in this month of Ramadan, as we do our prayers and we seek atonement, understanding the health understanding the health that we have through the fast in the same light of spirituality that our fellow people of faith as they celebrated christ as they celebrated easter in the christian faith earlier this month and as my jewish friends celebrated passover and recognize the deep beliefs and religious freedom that Passover commemorated. I also have to, on this date, recognize. We also need to say a prayer for the community at Poway Synagogue. Who one year ago on April 27, 2019 were horrifically attacked by a bigot on their Shabbat who shot his way into their congregation. At 11.23 a.m., He entered the Shabbat of the Poway Synagogue on the last day of the Jewish holiday of Passover, which fell on Shabbat. hundred people were inside. He was wearing a vest and had been prepared for a horrific amount of carnage. Lori Gilbert Kay, may her memory be a blessing, was killed 60 years old as she shielded Rabbi Goldstein, who was also injured. He fired into the room, wounding another man, an eight-year-old. But then two members of the congregation ran towards the shooter. The suspect then fled the synagogue and entered his sedan. He was open. He had thankful to Jonathan Morales, an off duty border patrolman who's a member of the synagogue, opened fire as the suspect escaped and hit his car multiple times. But the suspect fled uninjured, but later apprehended. Six months later was the Pittsburgh Tree of Life synagogue shooting, also an act of hate and bigotry. And we're reminded now as we as they've as the Jewish community finished Passover as Muslims begin Ramadan we're reminded of the fact that minority communities especially the Jewish community has lived for hundreds thousands of years as a primary target of hate and bigotry. In conspiracy theories that fascists contrive, fascists contrive to blame them for everything. From financial collapse to their own dictators in the Middle East, (laughs) to the plague, you name it. Conspiracy theories written in, in bigotry. Target communities like the Jewish community, and we're reminded on this sad anniversary to say prayers for for them, and may it never happen again. May we never forget, and may we live together as one community, one nation. In America, in Canada, in Europe, whatever nation you belong to, seeking to protect those who seek to protect our common universal human rights, our beliefs in freedom, religious freedom and liberty and all. And may this never happen again. So thank you for giving me that time to do that. Now for the rest of the program, what I want to do is talk about where we are, where we are in fighting for health, for defeating the spread of the virus. We can't defeat the virus, this concept that somehow we're going to stay at home until the virus is gone, until it burns off. Eventually, we are going to have to get immune. Eventually. Eventually, we are going to have to build antibodies to this. So we can't delay the inevitable at the expense also of economic ruin and progressive deterioration of our other health problems among our among our brothers and sisters and citizens. And one of the things I wanted to sort of circle my comments about today is this perception that... And I've used this phrase before when talking about radical Islam, that somehow, at times, and Peter Drucker, I think, came up with this, that we find that always, no matter how much strategy you have, no matter how much planning you have, culture eats strategy for breakfast. He was talking about it from a business perspective. But the bottom line is, is that it's true. Militarily, um Business-wise, economics, health, you can strategize all you want, but eventually our greater culture needs to guide what we do. It will anyway. It will grab the reins. So you can artificially keep us at home. You can artificially target a, a source of terrorism at some point. Terrorism is a symptom but if you don't deal with the ideas it will keep coming back that's what i've been has been the theme of this podcast about radical islam if you don't deal with the disease the symptoms will keep arising in different manifestations so when we confront when we confront the virus the spread of the coronavirus if we don't deal with our bigger things our lessons that we're learning as a community Now, if you look at Taiwan's response, it learned lessons in H1N1 15 or so years ago. And it put them into place, and now it had a much smaller economic impact for its 20-plus million people. But we, separated by oceans, I guess did not have, even though we had a pandemic response, that was on paper in some places, we did not have a wherewithal to have a sort of functional response. And yet, somehow our response has become binary. It's either all shut down and prevent the spread with social, physical distancing and complete paralysis... Or the conversation is somehow you're about kill, allowing people to die from the virus and you don't care and you just want to turn the switch back on, back to how it was in February. What are the principles? What are the principles that we will accept? And I think in the long term, this is the conversation we need to start having now. Because the price we are paying Because I do believe, as I start to see some of the people arguing for continued shutdowns into June, some of it's becoming a bit partisan. I don't think this is partisan. I think it's about worldview. I think it's about the perception of what you believe government's role is from protecting you from everything. And providing for you. We see the left, for example, its unemployment benefits now are such that it had to add that $600 a week, which, forget the math right now, basically provided where we have multiple businesses being told by their employees they're not coming back, the employees are not coming back, even though they got the SBA loans to do so, because the employees are telling them they're getting getting paid more now than they were working for the restaurant or the brewery or whatever it was or the clinic, as medical assistants. There's something wrong with that. When government will pay you more to stay home than you can working, then that culture is different than the culture that we had going into this crisis. So this concept of culture-eating strategy for breakfast you can have a strategy that, oh, we're going to flatten the curve, we're going to do this and that. But if your culture is destroyed in the meantime, the new culture will create not only collateral damage and and uh, um, unintended consequences, but we'll have a lasting shift in who we are that I believe we need to, with, open, with eyes wide open right now, realize that perhaps it's a price that we don't want to pay and should not pay. That may be a loss of not the battle against COVID, but maybe a few of the skirmishes against COVID. That maybe what was good for New York City may not have to be done for the rest of the entire country. There is no evidence that what happened in New York City is not happening elsewhere in the country because of the shutdown. And yet, if the governor of Georgia wants to open up, he's being criticized as being too cavalier in doing so, Yet, when in fact it seems he's following most of the guidelines on how to do so that the federal government instituted and recommended. So the tools that got us to the, to the leading economic powerhouse on the planet, the tools that got us to a society that Defended universal human rights cannot be tools that we throw. We can put them on pause for a few weeks, maybe, which is what many of the governors are saying they had the right to do. But first, knock it off with arresting parents at uh, parks and elsewhere. That is just not only un American, it is creating a bad taste in the mouth of Americans who have been following rules for the most part. And yes, when the government gives recommendations, we have a faithful community for the most part that will follow them to the 90 plus percentile. If a few percent do not, we always have our fringe. That's what tests the metal of our freedoms. When we were fighting radical Islam, people were criticizing the Charlie Hebdo magazine for... Uh, uh, attacking Islam and the Prophet Muhammad and drawing cartoons, etc. And yet, it is those people on the fringes of ideas that actually test the reality of what our rights mean. So when a virus is attacking us, it is when we are most stressed that we understand the limits to which we will defend and stand by our identity as a nation, as a body politic, as a legal system, and what our founding fathers meant. Now you may say that's exaggerated and come on, just it's a few weeks of a lockdown. I'm sorry, when when the government can force your business into shutting down and then you don't have the cash to make it go, so therefore you become dependent on the government. And they do it in the name of a virus now. Our government now obviously is transparent and the virus is real. There's no hoax going on. But I will remind you that the Bashar Assad's of the world destroyed their countries under the rubric of fighting terrorism. The China's of the world are slaughtering millions of Muslims, the Uyghur Muslims, in addition to their own populations, with no freedom to practice the Christian faith or other faith minorities in the name of fighting terrorism, in the name of fighting viruses, etc. So it's not paranoia to want to keep eyes wide open as our government invokes things in the name of our protection, which they truly did do. I trust them. But we need to hurry up We need to hurry up and get out of this morass and begin to open up society and understand that it's not binary, that it can be strategic, it can be graded, and it doesn't have to be all or none, and we will make mistakes, that the hand-wringing and the blame... I think the Boston Globe called for the resignation of President Trump because of how he handled the coronavirus situation. Are you serious? The president actually did everything that his medical advisors recommended. Democrats and everybody alike were even upset that he shut down the country in February and was doing things uh, uh, too too shallow, was doing things uh, uh, too quickly. I'm sorry in preventing air travel from China and Europe, etc. And then quickly, as the Coronavirus Task Force got put together, things were put into place in mid-March. And businesses quickly and states followed suit thereafter. And we are where we are right now, where even President Trump is saying the governor of Georgia is moving too quickly. So which is it? This is absurd. It's it's all about politics and and fine, you want to have political debates, that's fine, but don't do it in the name of, of blaming the other side for death and pestilence. That is dishonest, that is a lie. Because nobody knows. The experts, the experts in infectious disease and immunology every other day are changing what they interpret from antibody tests, from cultures, from admissions, from discharges, from death rates. All these data points are being thrown around, and every day the experts give us new interpretations, and I have my own interpretations, as you do, of what they mean. In the meantime, our culture is suffering. Our culture, as it stays at home, we see the ER visits down 50%. Elective surgeries were put on pause and now are going to be delayed. If you try to make appointments now for procedures, they're giving you months into the fall and winter. If they're truly elective, like a knee replacement or whatever, but some things appear to be elective, but they're actually not. Removal of a biopsy of a nodule that might be cancer, it might not placement of a defibrillator that could protect you if you have ventricular tachycardia? Well, if you don't, you're fine. It's semi-elective. But if your time was, was due to expire on May 3rd, God forbid, and you don't have that defibrillator defibrillator in place, then that wasn't an elective procedure, was it? The patient staying at home and not going to the emergency room. Do you really think that all of those visits back in February when the ERs were busy were all unnecessary? Now those patients are getting sick and either progressing at home or not getting care or getting substandard care through telehealth because they need exams, they need tests. So all of these things, are populations getting sicker, they're getting less care, and you're going to see a spike in morbidity and mortality over the next 6 to 12 to 18 months and other diseases, the pandemic after the pandemic. The pandemic after the pandemic. So I hate to be overly critical, but we have to realize that there's a balancing that happens. Our culture is a smart culture that understands the stressors in battles and in, in, in conflicts, and yet we grab onto not only the flag. The flag has a meaning, which is freedom and liberty, and the protection of our individual rights, sometimes at the expense of the collective. So yes, mitigation, mitigation is important. We should mitigate the spikes of illness that could happen in places like New York City or New Orleans or Mississippi or wherever else. And yes, prevent and limit right now the exposure of patients over 60, patients in nursing homes, especially we're seeing they're ravaged by this illness. But all the others, why should they suffer? The mortality rates, as we look at antibody rates of immunity, are now looking to be just a few percentage points higher than influenza. Now, this disease is more aggressive with a higher mortality than influenza, it appears. But... But those numbers, how much higher? And is it worth the impact that we've done on the lives of 300 million Americans, if not more, at the expense of whatever numbers those might be? Yes, every life's important. But yes, every life's important. Because every life's important, we can't, at the expense of whatever numbers might be preserved through continued shutdowns or any shutdown, we then expect those cancers, those other diseases, those lives are less important. Because that's the measurement, that's the balance that we're doing. And we can't have a nuanced conversation. Why is this happening? Again, the culture, one culture of collectivism, that government will solve all my problems, a culture of fear that we cannot suffer. We cannot suffer the 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 problem. We have to be protected by the nanny state, the mommy state, to protect us from all these things. This is what some of the generation... Has and the media feeds it. The pundits and the media that, by the way, sit at home in their seven figure salaries, eight figure salaries, making these decisions for people that have four and five figure incomes that are now zero and dependent on government. Because they have certain agendas. And the culture of the other side, that is, we talk about political correctness is the problem of the left. I think a lot of it is not just political correctness. It is, as my friend Seth and I talked about on his program, the Seth Leapson show earlier this week, we were talking about, as Seth mentioned, we coddle the millennials, we coddle generations of young who feel that... And it's interesting. I'm seeing this more as people are locked down. Some people just want to get out. They're starting to protest. They're starting to think this is not the, the data is being interpreted wrong. But others are getting more obsessive, compulsive, and more afraid of physical contact and proximity to their fellow citizens because they're afraid. And I told him as my oldest gets ready to go to college, yes, I don't want him to do anything stupid, but no, I don't want him to be risk averse. And is our culture becoming one in which fear is so dominated by viral spread? And and we were talking about the the great philosopher Pitbull (laughs) who came up with a song that fear spreads worse than any virus and spreads faster than any virus. And we will remain strong, he said. That's so true. Why isn't anybody living up to that? There's a cultural icon that is making a good message that we can't be afraid, but maybe he says we we stay not afraid by staying home. Okay, but for how long? As a culture, as a state, as a nation, let's fight this, but let's get back to work and realize that most people that get it will be asymptomatic. Let's get some antibody tests, but randomize them. And by the way, Now the push for antibody tests is again about changing our culture, changing our identity, where we're going to start to have to carry cards maybe. As a doctor, I will not sign any immunity cards for patients that are government directed. Now, if there's a law that I have to, you're going to see a debate and I'll end up following the law, but that is not the America that I know. Yes, we test people for antibodies, to hepatitis and other things, if they're healthcare workers or if the places they work mandated as part of the safety of, of who they are and what they do. But general citizenries having to respond to police queries about antibody status. Because what's the ethics of that? Well, the police, we as citizens have a right to know because they can infect other people Versus being safe in their exposure to other people. So therefore, by that standard, any medical illness that you carry that can affect people around you should therefore have a card that is immediately discoverable by the police at their beck and call. So therefore, drug addicts, meth addicts should carry a card. Alcoholics with any DUI or any evidence of demonstrable violence should carry a card. Psychiatric patients who have sometimes deterioration should carry a card. You get my drift. That's not the America I know that violates every every personal privacy and will deteriorate our society into classes of risk, classes that is antithetical to human rights. We deal, we accept with certain risks, and this gets back to what I started the program about today. We accept certain risks and the price of the freedom that we have. So therefore, when my kids go and start learning how to drive, I accept the risk that there may be some folks with a DUI history that have paid their time, Or that are alcoholics that don't have DUIs but are alcoholics, but God forbid they're going to be on the streets, and I teach my kids defensive driving and hope and pray like every other parent out there that never crosses paths. And I accept that price of freedom so that we do not stigmatize individuals with certain illnesses, with certain conditions. And interesting now, the the left, whoever it is, whatever the body politic is, they want to stigmatize people with immunity cards. They said if we were fighting an ideology that runs anathema to these issues of freedom and liberty, which is political Islam and theocracy, that somehow we were stigmatizing a faith group. No. We were stigmatizing Muslims. We were identifying ideas and people that believed in them as being part of the radicalization process of political Islam and Islamism, in part of the free thinking of thought and criticism of democratic ideas and discourse. So no, we reject immunity cards, and this is a conversation that gets back to culture. As I said at the outset, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So whatever way we go either we get stronger as a culture and maintain our American identity or we get weaker and fragmented and allow the government to collectivize us and destroy who we are. We can't let the culture of collectivism and fear defeat the American culture of individualism and human rights because of virus, because of a pandemic. Thank you, folks, as always, for listening. I hope I provided a little bit of new perspective. I think not only as a doc and as a father, husband, but as a Muslim. In this Ramadan, I I think there's some perspective for a reformist that's been going through some of these struggles to talk about this latest struggle for my country. And hopefully we'll begin to open up our state. Our country, and may God protect every individual against this virus and against other diseases they may have, and bring us all into health and community. Find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D R Z U H D I J A S S E R, and also at Reform This Radio. And find us online at iTunes and theblaze.com. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. God bless. <music> Reform this with Doctor Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.